Hello and welcome to the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest. My name is Sam Clements and this is the podcast that celebrates films with a 90 minute or less runtime. In each episode, a guest will select a film and join me to add to our ongoing fictional film festival. Today, for this special Christmas edition of the show, we are joined by film critic Elena Lazic, founder of Animus, an online film magazine. Hello, Elena. Hello, thanks for having me. Thank you for, for dialing in. Just to paint a picture, um, this is our Christmas edition of the show, and Elena, you've got a nice poster of Eyes Wide Shut behind you, um, one of the truly great Christmas films. Mm, absolutely, I, I'm looking forward to rewatching it. It's kind of a tradition. Lovely bit of artwork. I appreciate your surroundings. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so I, I know you, I know you outside of the podcast um but i also know you through your writing you're uh, quite a prolific writer you know for various outlets do amazing um festival coverage uh, listeners if you like to sort of get ahead uh, on what the big films will be in the coming months elena's a good person to uh, to follow because you do you do go to some amazing film festivals and i'm i'm often so jealous yeah i mean it's a good it's the one of the best things about the jobs definitely getting to travel and see films first you also founded animus which is an online film magazine which isn't always about new release film coverage. What's what's Animus? The idea is really that um, writers, so I always writers that I sort of reach out to because I love what they're doing, but most often it's people pitching me that I don't necessarily know, and they can write about anything interesting. It doesn't have to be a new film. It doesn't have to be anything that's even tied to, you know, an anniversary or anything like that. It just as long as it's interesting, basically, because I... I just felt like even myself as a as a writer, sometimes there's a frustration where, you know, you watch a film or, or you have an idea about films, about cinema, and you're really excited about it, but there's no way to really share it except, you know, maybe on Twitter, like you do a long thread or something. Um, and I wanted to create like a, a space where people could, could actually, you know, go along on that stuff. Like not just, not just have a, a little idea and then it sort of disappears, but actually develop it and make it, the best it can be and then share it with the world. For example, recently I did the, uh, the first screening for Animus, the um, Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning. It happened so that this this year is the 10th anniversary, but I didn't really think about that when I, when I sort of uh, started having the idea of doing the screening. I've been, I've been, I had this idea like already two years ago, you know, it just sort of happened that way. And um, a lot of the stuff actually with Animus happens, you know, just happens that way. Like often the issues have, have a theme but it's not a theme I've sort of designed myself. It just sort of emerges that way, which is nice, and which I think is more pos- possible to have if you only have, you know, only six or more like five essays per magazine. Because if you have a magazine with loads of articles, like it's obviously less likely to find a theme, but in my case, this works out really well. How how long have you been doing Animus now? In, in my mind, it's still quite new, but um, but but time has gone crazy with all the pandemic stuff. So I mean, yeah, time is weird. <laughs> um, it's basically like a year and a half, so it's still it's not that much time. Yeah, it still f- feels like an early thing. Like every time I'm still I'm working on a, an issue, it still feels very new. I hope it always feels new because it's fun. That's you know. If it starts feeling boring, like I probably should stop doing it. Doing events like I did with the screening, I think helps as well. Like sort of feel like it's a real thing that exists in the real world and not just on the internet, um, which is nice. So um, hopefully in the new year I can get, I can do more screenings, but we'll see. 
You're one of the most passionate, you know, sort of film fans I know. You, you've got an incredible DVD collection. I, I've been lucky to go to the cinema, um, you know, with you multiple times, and and you love movies. Do you remember when this sort of love came about? What got you into film? I had quite, I think, quite a, a typical sort of journey with film. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's not true. Maybe those people have similar, but. Um, in my in my circles, it seems quite unusual in the sense that I didn't really grow up watching films at all. Um, I didn't have parents who were cinephiles, and I, I just sort of I started sort of thinking about films and watching them when I was like sixteen or something. Um, I started basically I started getting interested in films first through TV series, which is quite funny now because it wasn't really <laughs> the golden age of TV at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I really got into Lost, the J.J. Abrams show. And that sort of brought me into film. Um, I remember when he made uh, the Mission Impossible movie, I went to see that. Um, it's kind of just happened that way. And I remember as well in high school, sort of reading KD cinema and loving how it made me feel like um, I couldn't comprehend what they were saying. Like it was like reaching the limits of my of my brain. <laughs> and it, was, it felt like, you know, when you're young and you're learning stuff and you feel like your brain is expanding. Um, it, and I love that feeling. And I loved... Um, the sort of, I could I could sense at least even if I didn't understand exactly what they were saying sometimes I could sense the passion and they talked about sort of all the sort of things it, it brings it brought up in them you know the ideas and the concepts and I thought that was so exciting so yeah before I watched like proper art house movies I was reading about them <laughs> I think after because I went to uni in London I did film studies there because I didn't want to do anything else um, and that's when I proper got into watching loads of films to uh because I used to be like oh my god I, I see one film I have to think about it for a few days I can't just watch another film which is crazy now to me because they, I have days when I watch you know five films in a row and, and like that's normal to me and if I could watch more I would uh, and and yeah and then after uni I started sort of writing online and that's how I then got into criticism because you know people reached out to me and asked me if I wanted to write stuff I sort of got into film as a it was like a process you know it wasn't like uh, oh yeah, I'm into film and that's it. You know, it was like, it intensified across the years. <laughs> yeah, And now I live uh, in a movie library. <laughs> <laughs> also, you you know, like you, you are now being paid to write for those magazines that you were reading when you were a teenager and, you exactly. know, being a fan of reading about movies. But when, when it comes to watching something for fun, how do you, what goes into your decision-making process? Do you ever sort of flip the DVD over and, and have a look at the runtime or does runtime really not come into it? I would say generally it doesn't really, but um, kind of depends, like, especially because like me and my, you know, my, my partner, my boyfriend, Paul, we watch films sometimes in the evening and in the evening, sometimes I'm, I know that if we put on something that's like two and a half hours, we're not going to be awake <laughs> for the ending and I, I prefer obviously watching films in one sitting so that I would say that's probably like the only time that I really pay attention to runtimes because it's it's like on a purely you know sort of uh, practical level um like yesterday we watched something I can't remember what it was oh yeah we were gonna watch something that was like 97 minutes no 79 minutes uh, I think it was the wild one we didn't watch in the end instead we put on um this uh, film called um Waterloo, Rod Steiger is Napoleon, and that's like two hours something. Um, so we went against the logic, uh, but it but it was you know we just like okay let's let's watch this. Uh, it doesn't matter, and we did not stay awake. Whereas I think if we had put on the other one, we probably would have watched the whole thing. But such is life. 
we've been talking about doing um, something on the podcast for for a little while, but we we did sort of latch on to a, a particular film. I can't actually remember how we decided on this film. I, I think it very much came from your side of, of things, Elena. But uh, yeah, how did you how did you sort of approach coming up with one under ninety minute film? Yeah, so as you said, we decided on that a while ago. So I don't know if I remember exactly the sort of process I went through trying to pick a film, but I think it's just this is one of my absolute favorite films like of any length <laughs> i really love it but also i i don't just love it i have like affection for it and and i want to to bring other people to it because i feel i mean it's a slasher film from the 80s it's, it's not you know a very elegant kind of type of picture i guess and it is might not be very appealing to some but i have such it's it's so much more than what it looks like and it is it's definitely one that's interesting to talk about and what film have you chosen for us today elena it's called silent night deadly night young billy witnesses his parents getting killed by a man dressed as santa claus after being warned by his senile grandpa that santa punishes those who are naughty now 18 years old and out of the orphanage, Billy takes on the role of Santa himself, embarking on a yuletide rampage to punish the naughty. Santa Claus is coming to town, and this time he's got an axe. That is a very accurate description of the film. Very accurate. And uh, and also, I do think when, when we do this podcast, I, I always love reading the sort of marketing blurb on the back of a, a DVD. And, and when it's a horror film or a comedy, maybe they sort of do, do lean into, um, you know, they add a few sort of cheeky, cheeky comments there, you know, uh, <laughs> and, and, and you can have some fun, I guess, as a writer, if, you know, in sort of bellishing a genre film, maybe more than a more serious sort of movie. Although this film is quite serious genuinely like there's a few moments of surprise at the beginning and and maybe sort of in the first half of the film before we get into the santa claus of an axe which is on the poster so you're sort of expecting that maybe but we're not expecting it to get there in the way that it gets there exactly yeah i think that's the i had the sort of same reaction when i first saw the film or maybe this first or second time i can't remember because there was a screening of it actually at the bfi south bank and I don't know if I'd seen the film before at that point, but anyway, if I had, it was a long time before. And my reaction was, I was just crying. I was so sad. Um, because before you get to the center with the axe, you have all this like awful trauma experience uh, of this child. Um, and it's, it takes quite a bit of the film's runtime. I would say at least half an hour or something, maybe more. Many slasher films, and it's fine. There's no nothing wrong with that, but you know, they sort of have fun with the premise and they're like, okay, you came here to see this. We're giving you this. That's what this is. You know, you came here to see Santa with an axe. We're showing you Santa with an axe and that's fun. And that's it. You know, fair enough. It is fun. Uh, but this film is, yeah, as you say, that it gets to that point in such a genuine way. Like it doesn't ever go like, I mean, it does, but not, not to such a degree. Like it doesn't go like you came here to see this. So we're giving it to you straight. And that's funny. Like, no, not really. Um, instead, it goes the sort of psychology route, which is really fun. Uh, really fun, really sad. <laughs> fun in a way uh, of this child who's traumatized and then traumatized again and traumatized just all over his childhood until he's 18 when he's traumatized again and becomes a crazed murderer. So it's, yeah, it's like at the same time, you, of course, it's really fun to watch this mad scenario unfold. But it's also just like a very sad story about how adults don't take care of children properly and don't protect them, just cause them harm, which is, you know, a great message for Christmas. 
It's a it's a film about how little white lies that you tell children are extremely harmful, and you should not lie to children, and you should just be honest with them, and not you know mess with their minds by telling them you know contradictory things that are, you know going to haunt them forever. And that's I think that's a great Christmas message. We should you know we should uh, it's it's kind of an anti Christmas film in that way I guess, um, which is beautiful. you know like this is an 80s movie and so many slasher films were popular around that time so many of them have villains which you know are sort of like they are there are a hundred when they first arrive on screen like they are there to kill people i think in this film it's really interesting how they they spend like say about half the film building up the monster we see the character sort of through a few different years um like billy i think there's a there's like a, a very small Billy who sees his granddad, uh, who tells him that Santa's evil. <laughs> you know, <laughs> really like beautifully like surreal scene. I, I really enjoyed that scene. And then we also see his parents get killed by a man dressed as Santa. And then we see a sort of another incident in the uh, in the orphanage where he is. Maybe he's a few years older at that point. And then we see him again at 18. So you know, we're sort of following this guy through his life. And then then we sort of see you know what sort of triggers him to become you know the the, the monster that he's been scared of his whole whole life. But uh, I, I think it's really interesting in the economy of this film like they are like no we need to build up uh the the antagonist but for the us the audience we don't know that they're building up an antagonist we're just rooting for billy exactly that's why that's why i think the film is so um like it's a in, in some ways it's a beautifully simple film like it's just pretty you know straightforward story and it goes to it and you know whatever but at the same time i think there's a degree of complexity there that that is so it it doesn't really tell you what to do as an audience like it doesn't position you in a very straightforward way like oh yeah we're rooting for this child who's by the way when he's a small when he's very small and then when he's like about i don't know like uh, 12 or something he's so cute like the actor the two actors who play him are extremely cute and you when we get punished you know like when he's terrified but then later especially the kid in the orphanage who gets constantly punished by this awful mother superior character you just you just feel so bad for him because he's because it's a child also because he's extremely cute and you know how could anyone do this to such a cute child uh, and yeah and so you 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 don't really know what to do you don't really know what to feel and then when he goes on his rampage later as an adult there's a part of you that's like well you know not not like fair enough he shouldn't do that it's extremely sad that he's doing it but at the same time what do we expect? It's not like a big surprise that he would go on to do stuff like this. And he doesn't have the tools to handle how like crap things are, you know, how, how disappointing things are. And yeah. And so that's why it's really strange for me. Cause like when I think of this film, I don't really necessarily think so much of like as of it as a slasher film. And you know, the way you think about all the kills, like it's got some really good kills as slasher films go. But like for me, I think more about like the story of this character and the, and the drama and the uh, psychological like breakdown of this guy and sort of the poignancy of this and the fact that you know it's not really his fault and he just snaps. You know, um, I don't really think of it as like a film where you're just waiting for the kills to happen. Like you don't really do that when they happen. Like yes, they are very they're very funny most of them. Like because they're so extreme and so like sort of elaborate and imaginative, and you wonder how. Like it's, it, this child is not okay because he managed to imagine all these crazy ways to kill people. Yeah, for me, I think about it more as the story of the character. You know, there are some slasher films that are amazing, but the story is extremely, extremely simple and you just wait for the kills. Like, it's, you know, all the films where like teenagers in a cabin in the woods and then they get murdered, you know, 
here it's like a proper you know character journey i think especially coming out in the 80s when the, you know a lot of these songs were super popular really really struck me i found it i thought i thought it was so effective like that changing perspective you know like we are with the murderer for the first let's say half of the film and we see him as an innocent child you know like our relationship with him is really complex exactly and i think actually maybe this is why the film apparently caused so much controversy when it came out and not just because it's about you know this like bringing together like mad slasher stuff and christmas uh, there were other films that did this but i think it's the fact that yeah you are in the head of this child who's tortured and you know uh, traumatized and then becomes a killer i think that's very that's very sad and that's very like uncomfortable not very christmasy because <laughs> um, he's basically traumatized by christmas itself by the idea of christmas in a way and I think that's why the film maybe um, really had such an impact on the people who saw it and uh, or maybe who even didn't see it <laughs> um, because it, it was apparently pulled from cinemas in the US two weeks after its release because it was too controversial, which is crazy to me. Uh, and there were lots of people, you know, sort of campaigning to have it removed. There was like a group of like concerned parents created in the US to sort of protest this film. Uh, there was um, Roger Ebert, you know, went on his show and sort of listed all the, I think he listed all the cinemas that showed it and said, uh, shame on you. Or maybe he listed the people who made the film saying shame on you. He was like, this is a dangerous picture. Uh, you know, there was all this extreme uh, reaction from it. And I think part of it is because of this is like a psychological journey, um, sort of traumatic journey. It's very uncomfortable in a way. It's not like if it was just, a, it, it can't really be dismissed as a stupid slasher film where, oh, someone's dressed as Santa killing people. Like it's more, it's darker than that. And I think that's probably part of the reason why it was such a big deal. It's really interesting, isn't it? Like certain things can sort of trigger quite a, like a conservative response to a movie. Like we had seen worse, you know, in terms of like gore on yeah. screen by this point as audiences. This is post Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Halloween, Last House on the Left, you know, that sort of stuff. But we haven't seen Santa do those things. <laughs> and Santa, I guess, you know, brings out the best and worst in people, as we see in the movie itself, maybe. Um, but yeah, like that, that, the whole sort of hoo-ha around uh, around the film is is sort of mind blowing. But this one isn't as famous. The story of of Silent Night, Deadly Night, isn't as famous as like, oh, Evil Dead was pulled by the district, you know, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I mean, the director didn't go on to make Spider Man too, I guess. So <laughs> That's true. Well, the director only really made a few films. He, the director, um, had a long history as. Being being a producer, Charles E. Sellier uh, Jr. Um, but I think he only made like two or three movies and they were all around this time. Like he's credited as director on two features in 1984 and one in 1985 and then nothing. But that is sort of peak, I suppose, Silent Night, Deadly Night controversy where maybe he just can't get another gig because he's the Silent Night, Deadly Night guy. Yeah. I mean, that's such a, for me, that would be such a badge of honor. Like you made this amazing film. It's really silly as well. I mean, so I'm saying it, I'm talking about it like this is really serious drama, but it's also very silly. I mean, it's literally, this part of, part of the pleasure of the film is watching a guy dressed as Santa and, you know, stare down people like an evil monster. Like that's funny. That's just a funny image, you know? <laughs> but I was thinking actually yesterday when I watched the film, I was thinking about all these like backlashes against slashers at the time. And it made me think like, actually, you know, um, not, it doesn't like justify it at all, but it's interesting because I think this was like the eighties, the seventies, it was kind of like the first time that there were films like this being made and being available so wildly, you know, film was the most accessible form of art in a way, or at least it could reach more people and more children. 
than, I don't know, you know, books or even probably even comic books at the time, actually. It was the first time that they had properly, you know, gnarly films being made, like with loads of violence and like gore and like slasher stuff, like just just people being killed a lot on film. It was the first time that this happened and that it was so available. And so I think like, the you know, it's easy now to laugh at like uh, people like Roger Ebert who were like, this is the end of civilization. Um, but it was kind of the first time this was happening. So there, I think there's a sense where we couldn't really know what the effect of that would be. And obviously, I'm not. I'm not defending. I, I think it's completely stupid to to think that people watching a film are going to go on to become murderers. Like, there's not why people become murderers. Uh, but it's a sense of like it was the first time. It was the first time this was happening. More recently, there was a whole controversy about the film Joker, where like there was some horrible things happening in that, and some people were saying, "Oh, it's a dangerous film," which was silly. But you know, you could sort of see the point that they were saying, and I think that's probably how it was for those films then. Um, which is interesting, um, completely wrong-headed and and stupid. The, the, the way to make people not go mad when they watch a film is not to not make them watch films. <laughs> I think this is like a dual-pronged sort of thing. Like the film is is violent. It's now rated at eighteen. You know, some gory scenes in there, but also you know, it's 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 Santa. I guess is potentially a character that might attract a younger audience. I want to see the Father Christmas film. It's also like criticizes the Catholic Church, the orphanage that um he goes to is run by Catholic nuns. So like maybe that's a sort of thing. But at the same time, you know, I think it's like a valid exploration of of all of those. And hey, you know, it's a movie. <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the thing. I think that's that's the thing. If it had been, if it had not been a interesting exploration of those things, if it had just been like, there's a crazy nun and she's really mean or whatever like i don't think people would have been that upset but it's because it's so in a way so accurate like her argument for punishing this child is not you know she's not she's not like a demonic person she's got like her her reasons and her logic she she's very real in a way and i think that's probably what made the film more upsetting for some people it's like oh but that's how i would teach my child you know that's how you know punishment is good <laughs> uh punish as he says uh every time he enters a room Santa Claus. He brings presents to all good boys and girls. <laughs> Your daddy told you that, didn't he? Well, I tell you something. <laughs> Santa Claus only brings presents to them that's been good all year. To the ones that ain't done nothing naughty, doggy. All the other ones. All the naughty ones, he punishes. I do think the film, like you said, the film is also fun, um, which I don't think we've we've sort of talked about no. too much. But <laughs> it is really fun, like the fact that Santa Claus is like the insight, like the triggering sort of thing for him. And the film is set at, at various Christmases and you do see Santa a lot, like illustrations of Santa and, and photos and, and, and fake Santas in stores and, and stuff. And it is funny that like, that is the thing because we're used to seeing that's, you know, a character react to uh, something, you know, that, that might, you know, maybe start something in them, but it's not like happy, jolly Santa. Uh, and the way they sort of shoot sort of like signs of Santa and stuff and uh, stuff like I couldn't help, even though it was traumatizing a young man, um, 
I still thought like that was quite a funny juxtaposition. Like exactly. a really lovely picture of Santa and then him reacting like he'd just seen like this horrible murder or something. <laughs> but then it cuts back to him seeing a horrible murder and you're like, of course. Exactly. Santa killed his parents. That's the thing. It's like, it's it's really horrible, but it's also just so extreme and absurd and, and horrible and, and just funny in a horrible way. Like, yeah, as you said, the, the, the bit where he's just happy. He's been working in this toy store and doesn't seem to realize that it's for Christmas, <laughs> which is interesting because it says that you've been here for like, like several weeks and you've been great but now you're weird you're acting weird because christmas is arriving it's like yes you're working in a toy store what's gonna what's gonna happen so that's already really funny the idea that of all people this guy would go work in a toy store it's just it's just really funny uh and then yeah when he sees the marketing that's got a drawing of santa and his face just just drops that that is just funny because the idea of someone being really really upset but this image of like a cute little santa drawing is just it's just really funny. And there's so much in the film that's just this, his boss makes him dress as Santa to, you know, welcome the kids. It's just so, it's like the worst thing that could happen. Just like, it's just funny how awful it is. Of course, no one else would be traumatized by having to wear a Santa costume, but this is precisely the person who would be most traumatized by that more than anything else. Something that helps the film a lot, I think, do both things, both be very funny and like really, you know, intense and engaging and upsetting is the actor who plays uh, Billy, the adult Billy. Um, I can't remember his name now, but we can find it. He's so good at doing both. Um, this sort of, at first he's just a nice guy and he's just sort of smiley, kind of shy dude who obviously grew up in an orphanage, but he's very nice and he's very uh, strong for some reason. <laughs> he's, I don't know, he's been lifting weights a lot. I don't know, he's just 18, but he's extremely strong. That's why he gets hired in the shop to carry the boxes and stuff. But he's really good at doing like sort of normal, nice guy. And then very, very upset young man, who's just sort of really, you really believe it. Like when he looks upset, he's not doing like pantomime upset. Like he looks genuinely upset. And then when he goes evil and he just sort of, you know, looks down at people like over his eyebrows and like like an evil maniac, he's also very believable. So I think he really... It's kind of like a dual role he has to do, and he he does it so well. It, the film sort of you know could have just not worked at all if if the actor hadn't been so effective. So many slashers have bad actors in in uh, even the lead role, but especially in bit roles, and this is not one of those. He's got, the whole cast is just so dedicated and and amazing. This film isn't made of a giant budget, but I think they've cast really good actors in those roles. They sort of know what's important. And each character, like each actor who plays a sort of side character, has such a specifically defined personality. I really like the way the film gets across the feeling of working in a a job like this, in a toy store over Christmas, but we see them the moment when we close the store at 7pm on uh, Christmas Eve. And the boss's reaction where he's like, I think he says, let's get shit faced. Like he, he's, he's, it's funny because it's like, you're not, not what you expect, but then you also, it does make sense because we've been doing this tedious job. Like I was saying, I, I was thinking, why don't we just go home? They must be tired. They want to spend Christmas Eve with their family. But it's actually all these people who are very, you know, very colorful characters who've just gone through this probably quite tedious and very tiring, very stressful experience of trying to sell as many toys as they can before the shop closes and now they just want you know they've been bonded by the experience that they want to have a drink together and the film it wants to show that it wants to get that mood across as well and it doesn't have to <laughs> it could just be like 
they close the shop, he he kills them, blah, blah, blah. But it's not. It's like you're fully involved in that um, experience. And it, it's just a, an attention to detail that's just, for me, comes across more and more every time I watch the film. And it's just stunning. I do like the reveal of, of how buff Billy is when he is... Uh... <laughs> when he sort of first because it's like you know uh, I don't want to I don't need an orphan from the Catholic Church to come and work in my store and and they're like well okay if you don't want Billy and then you see Billy and he's really ripped but uh, but I also love that there's a, after that there's like a really nice montage of Billy working through it all you know it's the first time we've seen grown up Billy we know that he's seen some bad stuff when he was a kid but actually maybe it's the more sympathetic uh, sister who brings him in and like maybe he's worked through it all and it's just like a lovely montage of him working in a toy store yeah it's so nice it's like uh i love that montage of him sort of you know grabbing toys on the on the really high shelf for a, cat, a child and his and his dad or something like that it's just so sweet and uh, and also like uh something we haven't mentioned is all the music in the film um and in that scene they're playing a really cheesy pop song uh that's just so like everything is going well and uh, yeah. i love christmas time and it's just um it's like on some level ironic because the film the film is as we've been trying to say i think this whole time it's like it's very serious but it's also slightly ironic slightly you know acerbic in that way and so you've got this montage that's really nice but of course the music is you know slightly ironic as well and yeah and he just looks so happy and he's such like a handsome young man and he's just very happy working in the store and he loves helping people. He's just, that's the spirit of Christmas for him. He's being good. He's helping people, you know? And that's why actually I really like when uh, when they close the store and and the boss reacts in that way. He's like, oh, finally, oh, this is over. Like it contrasts with that scene, with that montage where it's like, oh, we're doing this really worthy stuff and really wholesome stuff to help children have a nice Christmas. And then the boss is like, oh, thank God this is over. Like this, this like at 7 p.m., we this is finally, you know, we are done. And it's like this contrast. And also like the, it, it kind of gets to this thing that the film does really well, which is show like how contradictory uh, this culture is. Uh, where on one level you can work in a toy store and be and be like, oh, thank God that Christmas is over, like whatever. But on the other level, if kids are naughty, they don't get presents. And it's like, well, <laughs> what does that mean? Like this, this guy is very naughty. Uh, who who decides who's naughty, not naughty? And I think that's that's basically what sends uh, Billy over the edge is that he's he's just that it's just nothing makes sense anymore. Everyone's naughty. He has used to kill everyone. <laughs> That's true. I mean, his first victims are some of his colleagues, aren't they? Like, the shop is in it for a commercial reason, um, and it doesn't care about the children particularly. And then he sees that some of his colleagues are you know, sinful and must be punished. Um, and, and and that's when his world collapses and, and that's when he breaks out of the store and, and sort of goes on the rampage. And there's a really good scene where he's been forced to dress as Santa to welcome the children. And there's a, a little girl sitting on his uh, on his knee and she's being annoying and fidgety and stuff. And he says, uh, if you're naughty, you will be punished to her. And she just calms down. And you have one of the moms who says, oh, he's so great with the children. <laughs> It's like, yeah, that's that's literally what you're teaching children. That is how they behave. You just like that they behave, but they're like very scared and traumatized. It's like such a nice little uh, small version of like the entire film in that scene. You're being naughty right on Santa's lap. I don't bring toys to naughty children. I punish them severely. That's right. Stop it. Or I'll have to punish you. He sure knows how to handle kids. 
He's great, isn't he? He, if he was not Santa, if it was any sort of character or symbol or monster or, or whatever, like the film probably won't have this legacy that it has because it probably wouldn't have been banned um, there. But but we would be talking about it in a different way. It's just so interesting. Maybe it's a taboo, you know, sort of we should never see Santa holding a bloody axe. It's been done a bunch of times. Like uh, there's this other film from 1980 called Christmas Evil, also called You Better Watch Out in some places. And it's about a toy factory worker who uh, was traumatized as a child when he learned that Santa wasn't real. <laughs> and he has a nervous breakdown at work and uh, dresses up as Santa and like kills other people. And I think he maybe has an axe as well. Um, so there's like, there's quite a few films like this and they all seem to like sort of, at least these two sort of revolve around children being traumatized by Santa, by, by the idea of Christmas. Um, which I think is such a powerful message because it's not, it's not really just about Santa. It's about, how we deal with children and how we sort of raise children, why we tell them about the world, which is great. But it's kind of like actually, you know, in uh, the opening scene of Halloween, where we see little Michael Myers, you know, he he kills his sister and he's a child and he kills her while she's like naked or whatever. Like it's kind of, it's more abstract in that, in that case, but it's always the idea that children shouldn't see some things and shouldn't, you know, shouldn't be told or we should just lie to them about stuff. And how it always backfires <laughs> and it, it is never a good idea to lie to them and to sort of you know patronize them and yeah that just seems like a very right on message you know these films are so or were at least so demonized and they're actually you know pretty respectful of children or the so-called children would apparently be traumatized by this film you know it's all about how children are traumatized by society but as it is by christmas don't come for santa because society is not ready yet to sort of see santa as a as an antagonist because i think like the reason one of the reasons the films was banned was was it was not necessarily by people who'd seen it but just people who didn't like the marketing for the film that's that sort of where it really escalated was people rejected seeing this image you know of a of a monster sort of santa on a on a film poster but that's often the way i suppose you know people who don't necessarily understand a thing you know will have an outspoken opinion but yeah it's a really interesting film to get into and and it does like it ultimately like the film is is a fun ride but it's dark and and it's gory sure but like it's it's all stuff we've kind of seen before we just haven't seen it through this particular lens it's also yeah it's also like just really well shot as well like there there's some um amazing compositions and like quite funny compositions as well there's one amazing shot where it's like on some people singing Christmas carols outside a house. And, you know, they're quite few and they're in focus. And then it sort of goes out of focus to focus on like a house across the street. And then that's where the next kill is happening. So it's like, they didn't need to do that, but it's like sort of a way to include everything, uh, all the things about Christmas. There's also a great um, murder we haven't mentioned that's like um, about the Christmas uh, the sled sled. Uh, that's like, oh, how did we manage to work that in? You know, like <laughs> Christmas sleds. Uh, we've got, you know, we've got all the things of Christmas somehow in this film. And it's it's just also just like, yeah, on a purely like technical level, just so imaginative, uh, the way they managed to bring all that stuff in. And it looks gorgeous. Like the restoration is on part, in part because, of course, the film was cut as well uh, in the UK. And you can see the longer version. I don't know how much longer it is, but it's more basically just more gory details nothing really changes but also because it is a genuinely gorgeous looking film it's just so beautifully shot and uh 
the colors of Christmas, <laughs> the beautiful colors of Christmas. It's really well made. It's really well put together. And so yeah, like, they wouldn't have had the biggest budget in the world, but they did a, re- a lot with their budget. And it keeps you until the very end, you know, like it it, it uh, keeps you excited. I really like, and it's quite sad, I think. One of the final sort of scenes in the film is uh, is Billy going back as sort of Santa on his murder rampage uh, to the orphanage. Um, and and uh, it's sort of implied that he wants to kill the mother superior who's still alive um, <laughs> working there. Um, and, and there's this sort of great fake out where by this point the police are sort of chasing him and and there's a Santa at the orphanage uh, which gets shot because you know, Santa outside the orphanage and they're looking for a man dressed as Santa. And it's, the, it's, it's like a guy, an older guy who works there, Favreau O'Brien, who, who later is, the reason he didn't stand down is because he's deaf. You know, and all this sort of stuff. And it's it's really quite sad. Like this innocent man got shot by the police because he was dressed as Santa. The whole like police stuff in the film is really extreme, but also like kind of realistic. Like the fact that they're so poorly organized. Like there's an earlier scene where they actually almost shoot um, a kid's dad dressed as Santa because they see him go in the house and they almost kill him. And it's like, oh God, like, do any of these people deserve our help? Like it's just, <laughs> just so awful, you know, that what's the point like what is the point for this really nice sister you know who tries to help him like she she's in a it's a losing battle man everything is so stupid in that world um so it's like yeah it's like sort of very sort of moving in that way too because you you really feel like oh gosh everything is just against against him or against anyone trying to do good you know like the fact that they would kill uh, uh, some someone trying to just be a, a dressed as Santa to give some kids presents is just that's that's everything that's wrong in that society. So also, like all of those kids were like they'll be traumatized by seeing Santa gunned down, and then a few scenes later. The kids inside who also see a Santa gunned down, albeit the sort of correct the suspect at that point, but like, but still, like that, that there must be a better way <laughs> to apprehend Santa than shooting him in front of a room full of children and nuns. <laughs> exactly. Actually, so much of the film is about what kids see. There are so many moments where it's just kids seeing stuff. Of course, what he saw as a child is the murder of his parents. But then also everything he sees, stuff that he sees so triggers his anxieties, that like he sees this image of Santa, he sees uh, this man attack this woman, and he just, like he sees them being naughty. But then later on, you know, he um, he he gives that little girl the box cutter, and then presumably she's going to see what's happened. There's the kid who he kills on the, on the sled. He's, his friend sees him with his head on. Like it's all so much of the film is images of kids being terrified by something they've seen, which is just yeah, it's like this sort of unending cycle of trauma. I don't know what it would have been like seeing this film in the eighties, but I really like that we get to see it now, and it's got this you know quite well documented history with it, and you bring all that context with you uh, to the film. It's a wild ride, and I had such a good time watching it, and it's kind of nice, you know, like we in the Christmas canon, I suppose, like it is often family films or comedies and and there are plenty of christmas horrors but they don't sort of always get sort of the same level of uh reverence and i do think this one i guess it's quite notorious now because of everything that went around it but this one i think is starting to you know sort of, sort of be in that conversation and and also the fact you know people like 101 are re-releasing it and shout factory in the us are putting it out on nice new blu-rays and you know putting it in in shops you know next to it's a wonderful life and all that sort of stuff <laughs> exactly uh, amazing <laughs> will but it's like yeah i mean i was reading online and there's still loads of people who think this is just like a run-of-the-mill slasher which i find so crazy to me like it's 
it's not run of the mill at all for all the reasons we mentioned. It's it's very, spe- it's a very special film, and I, I really hope that more people see and see all the sort of complexity in it and how how moving it is, but also how its tone is just incredible. Like the the fact that it's also really funny and really darkly funny, and it's got so much like empathy, but also so much disdain for so many adults. It's just yeah, I just think it's really wonderful, and I really think it should be one of the top you know christmas films like it's not just a gimmick that it's set at christmas it is very much about christmas thank you very much elena for bringing it onto the pod and for uh, for adding it to our own under 90 minute film canon we haven't done too many christmas episodes um i think we've also got muppet christmas carol so if we were to do a christmas event maybe that would be a double bill of muppet christmas carol <laughs> and silent night deadly night both under 90 minutes you know both very unique takes on on the holiday uh, season as part of our podcast as part of your commitment to sort of presenting the film uh, you know we, we would love to get the film in a cinema and if you could choose a venue to to screen Silent Night, Deadly Night. Uh, is, is there a place that sort of springs to mind? I think for this one, it would have to be the Prince Charles Cinema in uh, London, just because it's uh, it's kind of the perfect place for this kind of film, for, for slashers in general, but also just for slightly different films that, you know, audiences would actually be open to. Um, very like, uh, I think I find audiences at the Prince Charles generally very uh, generous and very um, open-minded. If you've seen a bunch of slashes, maybe it's easier to see what makes this one special. And I feel like audiences at the Prince Charles definitely would have seen <laughs> a few slasher films. What's great is well that is that the Prince Charles attracts people who also have never, you know, just taking what well, just taking chances on films that they don't necessarily know anything about. And because they know they'll have a good time, no matter almost no matter what the film is, really, you know, because it's such a, a nice atmosphere and a great presentation, great seats, great popcorn, all of that stuff. So. I think that would be a good one for it. That would be a great place for it. Yeah, that feels like a natural home. And I guess like, actually this is one of those joyous films that could be screened at Halloween or Christmas. doesn't necessarily have to be shown at the holidays. It could be like your bridging film between like, the end of October and, and just before <laughs> like the, the really like hardcore, uh, you know, very like famous Christmas movie start. Maybe it's somewhere in between. A bit like A Nightmare Before Christmas in that respect. You could sort of toggle between the two. Yeah, just screen it in November. <laughs> if we were to do a screening of this, maybe we go for whole hog with like all the Christmas embellishments so mm. you know plates of mince pies mulled yes. wine maybe some carolers maybe they could carol some of the songs in the film like santa's watching you know that, that song's quite big in the movie um so maybe they can sort of like lull the audience into a very like festive uh, state of mind and then um and then the, you know all the fun can start when the movie starts and actually i think apparently um so some the the christmas songs we hear in the film they were actually written for the film oh, really? by uh, a woman um called Morgan Ames, and she wrote the Christmas carols in the film. And I think in the end, they only used two or three of them in the film, but there was a whole soundtrack album release of them. And yeah, they're great because they're they're very normal Christmas songs, Christmas carols, but also some of them have lyrics that could be understood as creepy, but they're not necessarily creepy. Like they could be understood that way. The way most Christmas songs are in a way um so it's kind of amazing so you could play that in the background well that would be great i didn't realize that the soundtrack was written for the film that's amazing um yeah because they just found like i I just assumed they were like older american christmas songs that haven't you know like transitioned into 2022 yeah me too that's what i thought too but then turns out they were actually written for the film which is 
Amazing. That's a fun follow-on. So watch the movie, listeners, and then over Christmas dinner, you can play the soundtrack. Enough <laughs> <laughs> Christmas cheer in your house. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> lovely stuff. Oh, nice. Well, thank you so much for bringing Silent Night, Deadly Night onto the podcast, uh, Elena. If people want to find out what you're working on next uh, and read Animus, where should they go to? Uh, so the Animus website is just animusmagazine.com. And otherwise, I'm I'm still, for now, on Twitter at uh, elazic, E-L-A-Z-I-C, but I mean, the best place for it is probably, you know, Animus. Um, there's going to be stuff there regularly and hopefully, yeah, hopefully more screenings. If all like social media, you know, disappears, I'll still be on there. <laughs> oh yeah thank you thank you for for joining us and uh and yeah hopefully see you at another animus screening really soon i hope so too thank you for having me it's been so fun talking about this it's an amazing film and merry christmas merry christmas thank you for listening if you enjoyed the show please subscribe on your podcatcher of choice You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, or if you've got a mo, share an episode with your friends. Every recommendation helps. You can contact us on our website, 90minfilmfest.com, and on Twitter and Instagram, at 90minfilmfest. The podcast is produced by me, Sam Clements, and Louise Owen. It's edited by Louise Owen, with sound mixing and additional editing by Luke Smith. Our music is by Martin Ostwick, and our artwork is by Sam Gilby. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. We're a proud member of the Stripped Media Network. Santa's watching, Santa's creeping, now you're nodding, now you're sleeping, we're